My wife, um, Charm, is here again today. Right over here with my mother-in-law, Bobby Joe. Bobby Joe. Got to remember that. She's from Indiana, and second names are used with first names in Indiana. So you're Billy Bob, you know, if you're from, if your name is Bill. Um, <clears throat> Charm was talking to me this week. Uh, we have prayer time in the morning, and she said, Jan, um, you use some words that many people find scary today and uh, are a little bit leery about, and uh, words like repentance and submission. And you say you talk about surrendering control of your life as if everybody gets that. And uh, the fact of the matter is she's right, um, and I admitted that, because I forget that what I'm saying can sound authoritarian, it can sound manipulative, it can sound like I'm expecting you to be under my control or your pastor's control. And of course there's all kinds of stories out there about controlling religion and as if all religion is the same and it is mind control. Um, so I, I want to speak to, to that question this morning because I forget how the gospel of Jesus sounds to ears that have been soaking in today's culture. This is an age of suspicion of leadership. This is a, this is a, a time in history where leaders are trashed regularly in the news. I mean, it's an impossible job to be president of the United States. Not only are you going to get thrown under the bus daily, but your family is as well. Um, it's just, it's a national pastime to destroy leaders. To the point where, in university, history is being rewritten. There are no great leaders. Did you know that in history? All of them have feet of clay. All of them were abusive. All of them were chauvinistic. All of them had prejudices. All of them were haters. All of them were racist, right? That's what the university crowd believes. And so they feel it's their responsibility to trash every human leader who's ever lived. And that's their job. And they get paid for it. And you have to pay them very well to have leadership trashed. So is it any wonder that the generation coming up, you guys' age, has been taught, don't trust leaders. They'll fail you. They'll use you. They'll manipulate you. So the question, finding a leader you can trust, is a very valid and important question today. Toward the end of... Uh, 30 years of ministry at North Shore, um, I was feeling something coming off the audience every Sunday. Every Sunday, not just once in a while. But as I got up to speak, I could feel the question behind everybody's eyeballs. Pastor, can I trust you? And the burden I had every Sunday was to speak through that issue of trustworthiness. 
Now, I love some of these words I've been using. Maybe not all of them yet, but I'm learning to love them. I love repentance. I love repentance as a lifestyle. I love submission. I love to submit to Jesus. I love humility. It's the hardest thing on earth for me. I told you last week that this message has changed my life because I'm a rebel to the core. I like having my own way. Jesus has been changing that in me. As a result, I like Jesus in control. Um, it's, a, it's a really big deal for me. I, I can't talk about the Word of God and the Gospel without talking about the wonder of being under the control of a safe leader, the Lord Jesus. I'd like to start today by asking uh, the toughest, tough question. What will happen to me? What will happen to you? If I allow Jesus to be my leader, if you allow Jesus to be your leader, not just your Savior. In other words, that's very much in our heads as Christians today, in today's church. You can accept Jesus as your Savior and then decide whether or not you're going to follow him as Lord or leader. One of the things we, uh, we struggle with is, what will my life look like? What will Jesus do to me if I really let him be my master and be in control of my life? What will he lead me into? Will I like my life? Will I have any fun in my life? Don't I know best... What would make me feel good? If I give control of my life to Jesus, isn't that too much of a risk? Won't he maybe lead me into something that I won't like? And that's one of the deep suspicions that has been planted by our enemy, the devil, way back in the Garden of Eden. The suspicion of God was planted through the whisper of the serpent to Eve. Is God really trustworthy? When he tells you you should not eat of that tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, could it be that he's just thinking of himself first and not you? Could it be that if you eat of it, you will be like Him, knowing good and evil? Could it be that He's holding out on you? That lie has permeated human history. Could it be that God isn't trustworthy? And it's, been, it's left terrifying results in its... In its uh, its path. Now, I'm teaching the gospel of the kingdom, which, remember, gospel is good news. Um, and I'd like to reaffirm, it's the only way out of the mess we're in. There isn't any other antidote. There's no other way to get rid of 
violence and hatred and bitterness and conflict, animosity and hostility. All the things that plague human history. The things we don't seem to be able to figure out. The things we can't get past in our own strength and in our own wisdom. When we go our own way, the, the fact of history is that we're dangerous. When you want your way and I'm in your way, you want your way so badly that you'll do whatever it takes. We call that war. Whether it's gang warfare in the streets of our cities, racial warfare, or economic warfare, it's going on all over. There's all kinds of warfare going on in our world. The only antidote is the kingdom and the king, the Lord Jesus Christ. True repentance is what makes us safe. And repentance, remember, is not just feeling sorry for bad choices. <laughs> repentance is taking sides with God. It's changing your mind about who ought to be in control. Technically, the Greek word means to turn around. So if I'm going this way on my own, making my own choices, Jesus calls me, I go his way, I follow him into his kingdom. The, the gospel call to come to the cross to receive forgiveness and salvation is a call into a kingdom. It's not a call to get fixed or to get rid of your guilt. It's a call to operate in a whole new government, a whole new world. So, let me take you to uh, this slide. We're going to contrast the relational realities here. In the kingdom of self, the old man, the old nature, the old sin nature, whatever you want to call it, the New Testament uses a lot of words to describe this, this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. When I surrender to Jesus Christ, what changes? Well, I like the changes. That's where we're going. And I'd like to suggest right off the bat that the relational side of us, the way we love, changes. When we move from the kingdom of self, we're moving from a place where love centers on me or you. My desires, my pleasures, my happiness, my control, my success and my needs. When you hear people say, what's in it for me? Or you hear somebody say about someone else, it's all about them. This is what you're talking about. All right? My world is me. And if I'm not happy, I'm going to make sure nobody else is happy either. Now, what, what happens when we come into the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ is love focuses outside of myself. Love focuses on God. I actually care about what he cares about, his desires, his pleasure, his happiness, his control, his success, and the highest good for his universe. You say, well, that's 
<laughs> that sounds pretty cerebral. It's good theology, the supremacy of Christ, you know. The sovereignty of God. God. What are you talking about, Jan? I would bet that any of you in this room who consider yourself Christians talk about your Christianity in terms of a relationship, don't you? You say, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. The difference between religion and Christianity, true Christianity, is a relationship, right? So we talk about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When you're in a relationship with someone, you care about them. When you say you love Jesus, you care what He feels. You care about whether He is enjoying what you're doing and what's going on in your world. Right? You care. Because you love Him. So, when love focuses on Jesus, what he cares about, it changes everything. Your whole focus, the way your life is centered, changes. Repentant faith moves you from what we used to call the old nature or the old man or the flesh to the realm of the spirit where he is in control. Let me look at it a different way. The flesh, the old man, the, the old sin nature, all right? What we're saved from. That's what it looks like. Where did I get that list? Galatians chapter 5. Just before the, the teaching on the fruit of the Spirit, we read this. Galatians chapter 5 says, So I say, live by the Spirit, this is verse 16, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So you do not do what you want, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. God, it's my body. Keep your commands off my body. I'll live sexually the way I please. That's the old sin nature. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, pornography, basically, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness and orgies, did you see how many things in that list are about breakdown in relationship? Let me read it again. Listen about relationships. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage or tantrums, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. You see what I'm saying? The works of the flesh are anti-relational. When you're focused on yourself and what you want, you want to run your own life, 
Life centers on you. This is what you produce. You can't help it. I don't care how nice you think you are. Or how you can cover it up with a veneer of play acting to keep up the appearances. Underneath, that's what you become when you focus on yourself. The sins of the flesh are what is devastating our world. Because everybody starts here. Apart from Jesus Christ, that's where we end up as well. What's the contrast? Throughout the New Testament, the works of the Spirit are then contrasted. And they are equal. I mean, they, there is a solution in the Spirit for every problem in the flesh. So faithfulness instead of unfaithfulness. Steadfastness instead of fickleness. Loyalty instead of betrayal. Promise-breaking instead of prom- uh, promise-keeping instead of promise-breaking. Fidelity instead of desertion. Others' best interest instead of selfish interest. Reliable versus unreliable and trustworthy versus untrustworthy. Um, We're going to go a little bit deeper into this in just a moment. But let me ask you, first of all, in all honesty, some of you married the list on your left, right? In fact, all of you did. If you're married... You married a sinner. You married a person whose major problem at the core of their being is that they started out self-centered. That's what's wrong with us. And there's no exceptions. Everybody, every human being starts being self-centered. You can only be delivered from yourself by Jesus Christ. There is no other solution. There's no other way out. To the degree that your partner is being changed to the list on the right, to the kingdom of God list, under the control of the Holy Spirit, to that degree they're becoming more and more lovable. (laughs) Because you see, it's very difficult to love somebody who's all about them. Really hard. It's painful, in fact. But it's really easy to love the, the list on the right, right? That's the kind of person you want to be married to, really. That's the, that's the kind of guy or girl you're looking for. You're not looking for this. You're looking for that. If, you've got, if you're a list person, young people, if you've got, you know, you're building this image of the person that you'd like to marry someday, put that down. Because if you, list, if you marry somebody who is good-looking and smart, but that's where they live. Their nose is buried in their belly button. It's all about me. All right? You're going to be miserable. If you marry somebody who isn't so (laughs) good-looking, but they're over here, you will have the most amazing, fantastic, awesome, I sound like Brooke. Life. You will. Why? Because they have been unselfed by Jesus Christ. And that's what you're looking for. Somebody who has been unselfed. Hard to find. No kidding. So repentant faith 
should take you from one side to the other. Now you say, well, you know, uh, it's a process. Um, uh, I'm not there yet. I uh, made a lot of bad choices, even as a Christian. My friends, either you've repented and Jesus is your leader, or you haven't repented and he is merely your servant. And it's a tragedy because you will always do the same thing when you're in control. It'll be the list on the left. And he will always do the same thing in you when he's in control. The list on the right. Um, one of the things God is looking for, by the way, is um, the bottom of that li- the list on the right, reliable and trustworthy. Uh, how many of you here uh, are employers or have your own business? Anybody? Okay, several. Okay. What kind of employees are you looking for when you're hiring? List on the right. Exactly. Why? What has experience shown you? The list on the left is painful. It is miserable to be the the leader and to have employees who are operating over here on the left. And, you know, you're pretty smart, you leaders. Do you think God is stupid? What kind of people is he going to put weight down on in the future? Who is he going to give his kingdom to? Jesus said, little children, it is the Father's good pleasure to give you his kingdom. How could an intelligent God give people on the left who have those characteristics his kingdom? He's just asking for the same kind of misery that's going on on this planet. He is regenerating us, changing us, creating a new creation in us through Jesus because that is who he will trust in eternity future. He's looking for people he can depend on who will not desert him or rebel against him. That's already happened. It's not going to happen again. Church health implications. What would happen if all of us bought this? What would happen if this church operated under the leadership of Jesus most of the time? All right. Well, we'd move from avoiding God's leadership in the kingdom of self. We'd move from a relationally toxic, we already read all those things, dissension, strife, offense, hatred, you know, all this stuff that was in the works of the flesh. We'd move away from that, which is what the world is like out there, dangerous. Instead of being egocentric, the pastor, the elders, the leaders, the parents, the kids, would stop competing, would end conflict, would not allow breakdown in relationships, and would not be alienated. They'd be coming together instead of going apart. In the kingdom of God, when we let God lead, that's exactly what happens. It's a relationally healthy environment. You can let down your guard. A lot of people today are from church fights. They've had bad experiences with church. They've been in churches where 
People have been centered in themselves, not in Jesus. Where a pastor or a strong leader or a church boss has been in control and it has been painful. All right, should, it, should we expect that it would be any different? No. Just because it says church over the door doesn't mean that there are everybody in that church is unselfed. Or a new creation in Christ. When we're Christ-centered, then we have a spirit of servanthood, of harmony and unity and oneness. We can operate together. Now, let's say that these kids go to Alder Lake and they all come back relationally really hot for Jesus. In other words, I don't just have Jesus as my Savior. He's my Lord and I love him. And I'll do what he tells me to do. All right, did you know that most of the, uh, the great revivals in church history were started by teenagers? Did you know that? A 16-year-old girl started the Welch Revival in 1904. She got up in a prayer meeting, told her story, and cried out in great stress and anguish to Jesus to come and take over her life. Right, right in the middle of church. What a rude thing to do, huh? <laughs> and that changed everything in Wales. Church after church after church was turned upside down. All started with one girl who sold out completely to Jesus Christ. <laughs> it became the thing to do. Well, when that happens, this whole section begins operating in the fruit of the Spirit. All right? This whole section, this whole section, this whole section. And guess what? We all start working together. We all start looking like Jesus, acting like Jesus. His will is being done. And the result is we start bearing fruit. Now, let me talk a little bit about this diagram. Those are not pretzels, those are worms, okay? <laughs> if you look close, you'll see an eye on the end that's toward the pear, okay? What are those worms? Well, they are the realities of what we all live with. Every single one of us live with those worms. Persecution, adversity, suffering, difficulty, sickness, limitation, fatigue imperfection, spiritual warfare, injustice, frustrations, problems, sin. Everybody here is subject to those adverse conditions. That is never an excuse. Because there's worms out there, it's not an excuse to not bear fruit. Because the fruit of the Spirit is not maintained by us. It's maintained by our leader. In other words, when I'm under his control, what does he do to me? What does he do in me? He, he leads me into love. By the way, the fruit of the Spirit is singular in the Greek. It's not fruits of the Spirit. So you've got these nine qualities, but there's one fruit. Actually, the whole list is the definition of love. This is what love looks like. This is how love acts. This is how relationships can be done under Jesus' leadership. 
what would happen if that was who we were and how we acted? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, our goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Uh, some years ago, Sharm and I, uh, remember some of you have lived long enough, the Goodwill Games in Seattle. Um, there was people from all over the, the world came to Seattle, and it was done on a budget, a very low budget. And so the people of Seattle were asked to house the visiting people from other countries. And Sharm and I um, volunteered to house um, a young man from Russia. His name was Nikolai. And um, we wanted to show him our Northwest. So he was here for a few days before the Goodwill Games. And, and we wanted to take him up to Mount Rainier. And we wanted to take him to Deception Pass and out into the San Juans. And, you know, just show him the beauty of the Northwest. And we asked him, would you like to see this? this? No, no. What would you like to see? Now, this is in 1991, 92, somewhere in there. Um, early 90s, anyway. And Russia was imploding. Russia was in severe financial crisis. And commodities, in other words, the things we take for granted, you go to Fred Meyer, you're going to see stuff. You, you go to Safeway, you're just going to see food everywhere. All right? That wasn't the way it was in Russia. There was nothing on the shelves. The only place you could get things was through the black market. And Nikolai had a cheap little camera, and he said, I want to take pictures of stores. So we took him to Fred Meyer, superstore, you know. We, went in, we walked in on the produce end of uh, Fred Meyer, and, you know, there's a half acre of fruits and vegetables. I mean, it's <laughs> amazing. Bin after bin after bin after bin of fruit. He stood there in awe. He was struck dumb. He could not believe what he was seeing. He looked at all of that fruit and vegetables, and then he got his camera out, and he spent a whole roll of film in the produce section. <laughs> fruit is impressive. Especially when it's piled up like that. My friend, I, I believe that there's a watching world that would love to see the church like a produce section at a Fred Meyer or a Safeway store. An abundance of fruit. Beautiful fruits and vegetables. That's what a healthy church is like. It's an amazing group of people who love Jesus, who follow Jesus, who are becoming like Jesus, who exhibit the fruit of the Spirit. Now, point here. Listen carefully. There are always worms. There are always hostile environment factors. That's the way it is. But you and I have the joy of bearing fruit in a hostile world. And that's what makes it so impressive. Nothing stops the Spirit of God from producing His fruit in your world, in your life, if you let Him lead.
we, uh, Steve and I, Steve, your pastor, Steve, um, developed this illustration together. We called it the biblical bullseye, and it was posted in our um, offices. We had it in the church constitution at North Shore. We wanted to be very clear about what we were doing. Are we about truth as a biblical church, a biblical community? Absolutely. We are people who love truth. We love God's word. We define everything by God's standards, not ours. So, that uh, outer ring is right doctrine. It's rightly dividing the word of truth. It's studying God's word, knowing God's word, but that isn't enough. You know that. Many very biblically literate people are miserable people. It has to transform you. It, it has to change your behavior. The truth sets you free. It allows you to change. It allows you to grow. It allows you to mature, especially relationally. Because you're learning how to love like Jesus loves. You're learning how to dis display the fruit of the Spirit. And what happens at the center is the most important. You go from right doctrine to right behavior to right relationship because your right behavior can be Phariseeism. It can be self-righteousness. It can be perfectionism. But relation, right relationship can't be. Right relationship is about loving at a depth that is like Jesus. In other words... Your truth sets you free to change, and your change takes you into really good love relationships. Trustworthy love relationships. That produces safe community. And I'm going to stop right there. Um, i got a couple more slides, but I'm not going to go into them. They're about church conflict. And that kind of will get us off the track right now. I, I sense that you're ready to say, I get it. The kingdom of God is about right relationships. And that's what I want. What was I thinking when I didn't trust Jesus to lead? I hope you're there. Because what I want, want to end with is, is just simply this. When Jesus takes over, and I'm going to skip very quickly past this, all right? I want to show you one further slide. Okay, right here. When I meet, meet Jesus at the cross, I am meeting the leader I can trust. I have moved away from self-government. I'm now ready and willing for his kingdom to take over in my life. All right? But what kind of a leader am I trusting? All right? You see what's printed on the bars of the cross? Christ's submission and humility. Did you know that, that Jesus is the most humble being in the universe? He's the most submissive leader in the universe. How do I know he's submissive? <laughs> he's on the cross. How can you get more submissive? How can you get more humble? 
How can you get more trustworthy? How can you see a better, more beautiful picture of an ego, of a person, when He lays down His life for you? Why do we trust Jesus? Because He is absolutely the safest leader you could ever find. He is the only leader who has a safe ego. So what He's saying at the cross is this. This is who I am. This is the leader that's at the heart of the universe. This is the leadership style of your Creator. This is the kind of leader I am. I will sacrifice myself for you. I am not a taker. I am a giver. I am sacrificially laying down my life for you. Meet me there. I know your suspicion. I know you think that I'm a tyrant. I know you think that I have to have it all my way. But meet me at the cross. Submit to my submission. Humble yourself to my humility. Trust me or there is no other place for us to meet. I've come as far as I can, as it's possible to come. Meet me at the cross. The cross is a leadership statement. It's why we trust Jesus. It's why we believe He's trustworthy. The ego you see at the cross is the ego of God. The true God. The real God. The God who is behind all of creation. And that's why the message of Jesus is so powerful. The cross is so beautiful. Because there we see the heart of our leader. And if you can't trust that heart, you can't trust anybody. And that's called hell. It's the only alternative. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord Jesus, as we look at the cross, we see who you really are. We see what, what you came to show us, and not just tell us, but to show us. We see the absolute beauty of a safe ego. The marvel of a leader who has all the power and yet who turns it into love, not control. We begin to understand why you would take the risk of giving us choices, a freedom to choose. And we have used it so terribly. We have we have defied you and rebelled against you and gone our own way thinking we can run our world better than you can. And we're not the kind of people who would be on the cross. We put ourselves first, naturally. But we see in you something so attractive, something so wonderful. And we want to be like you. We want to be safe too. We want to be trustworthy and reliable and faithful. And so, Lord Jesus, we come right now and we just simply say, take over. May your kingdom come and your will be done.
in my life as it is in heaven. I do trust you. I choose to trust you. If you fail me, there's nowhere else to go. If what I see at the cross isn't love, isn't safe leadership, then I don't, I don't have any place else to go. So I, I run to you. I humble myself to your humility and I submit to your submission. And I say, God, Lord Jesus, Master, King, I have found my home in your kingdom. You're the answer that I need. And yours is the life I want to live. Lord, I pray that each one in this room will pray a prayer something like that, will call out to you from the depths of their being and say, that's what I want. That's what I need. I need a leader I can trust. And I think I've found it in Jesus. Lord Jesus, take over. Be my Savior and my Lord in this life and throughout eternity. And I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.